Well, thank you for being here tonight. I want to talk to you about the smell you leave behind. I have been warned to stay with my notes. It went something like this. No ad-libs. No funny little stories that pop into your mind. Just stay with the notes. The problem is she doesn't know what's in my notes. I know we have all encountered people who leave a smell behind, though they are no longer present. I'm reading from my notes right now. For example, uh, the smoker who turned in the rental car, he might be in another state by the time you get the car, but you, he left behind a smell that is unmistakable. Or I've had this happen more than once, you step into an elevator that is empty, but the lady who wore the strong perfume is on another floor by now, but her smell is still in the elevator. The smell you leave behind. We could add to the list, certainly. If you have teenage sons, uh, and their, their gym clothes or their tennis shoes, you know all about the smell they can leave behind. Did you know that the Word of God actually talks about the fragrance that you and I should be remembered for. I mean, it's right there in Scripture. It's a, it's a beautiful Scripture written by the Apostle Paul, and it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you open God's Word with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 14 through 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Notice that phrase. And through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Paul is using, of course, vivid imagery in this text. The first thing that we need to understand as we look at the imagery that is in, that is in these verses is the, the imagery of this triumphal parade that Paul is referring to in verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession, he calls it, in Christ. Most of the people in Paul's day had probably witnessed what was known as a Roman triumph. You can actually look it up at historical records of the Roman triumph. It was the highest honor that a general could be given. A victorious Roman general was from time to time given a Roman triumph. It was a parade of sorts to celebrate the victory over a foreign foe. Sort of like a modern day ticker tape parade, if you will. But now, in order for this general to receive this highest of all rewards, this Roman triumph, there were three criteria that had to be met. If this Roman general, first of all, 
won a complete victory over the enemy on the enemy's soil. It's not like you defeated the enemy who came and attacked you. But rather, you defeated the enemy on the enemy's soil. That's the first criteria. Number two, if you killed at least 5,000 of the enemy. That's criteria number two. And then criteria number three, you gained new territory for the emperor. If you accomplish those three things as a Roman general leading your soldiers into battle, then that general, after it was all over, when he returned to Rome, he was entitled to a, Rome, a Roman triumph. So as he marched back into the city of Rome, there was a, what we would call today a take-or-take parade. The victorious general coming home from battle would lead his soldiers and lead the captives through the streets of Rome in a festive procession. Thousands of people would line the streets of Rome and cheer for, the, for the, the general and for the triumph that was theirs. The victorious general's sons would even join in. Though they weren't in the battle, they would join in the parade. They would get behind their father. They would share in his victory as they marched through the city of Rome. The pagan priest, this is where it gets interesting. The pagan priest would go in front of these chariots with sweet-smelling incense that he was waving as they went through the crowd. To the victors, to the Romans, the victors, that fragrance of the incense was a fragrance of life and victory. To the captives who were in that parade, that fragrance was the smell of death, representing their defeat and their coming execution. It was likely that picture that Paul had in mind, this Roman triumph, as he writes this passage of Scripture to the church in Corinth. Paul is describing a victory parade. But it's no ordinary victory parade because this is no ordinary general being celebrated. The conqueror, if you will, the general that's being celebrated in this letter that Paul is writing, left heaven on a mission to conquer the greatest foe of mankind. And look at verse 14 again. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, this general, if you will, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and of course Satan. That's why Paul wrote these words to this same church in the previous letter, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, finish the sentence, thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 15, 55-57. So we go back to this text in Romans chapter 2. I'm sorry, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to go to verse 14 again. I don't want you to look for a word. It's a small word, but it's an important word. It is the word us. Find it in verse 14. Paul says that we are in this victory parade. Much like the general's sons in the days of the Roman emperor, and they would follow the general in their father in this victory parade that he has won, Paul says we too share in the victory parade. We are sons and daughters of King Jesus and we share in his victory. Look how he says it in verse 14. But thanks be to God who 
always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us spreads this fragrance. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession. So, there's three things I want to share with you tonight. Based on this idea that God wants to use our lives to leave behind a special aroma, if you will. a, A special fragrance when we are encountering people. I want to make three points to you. Taken from the text, and we'll look at verses 14, 15, and 16. Uh, first of all, here's the, the, the first one. Three important things to be revealed, to be remembered as Christ's followers. Number one is this one. Even when life is uncertain, you can be sure that God is leading you. Even when life is uncertain, you can be sure that God is leading you. And I'll show you why I say that in just a moment. But sometimes, if you're like me, it just seems like life is uncertain. It seems like life's upside down and things might even be falling apart in your world. And you need to remember that you have a general, you have a commander-in-chief who has defeated your greatest foe. And why is that important for us to remember that? Because life doesn't always work out the way you planned it. You ever had that? You ever seen that? You planned it one way and this doesn't go the way you want it to go. Life doesn't go the way you think it should. In fact, look at this text. If you look, go up a couple of verses, verses 12 through 13, it appears that for the Apostle Paul, his plans, even though they were good plans and godly plans, he was serving the Lord, it appears that some of Paul's plans were kind of falling apart. Paul says in verse 12, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, he had good intention, had a great goal. He was going to go to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. Now, but don't don't read any further yet. Paul says, I had really good intention. I went to Troas. I was going to preach the gospel of Christ. And it seemed like God himself had opened a door for me. Everything's lining up until it wasn't. Look at the next verse. Even though... All of that was true in verse 12. Look what he says in verse 13. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and I went on to Macedonia. I still had no peace of mind. And so I left. We're not exactly sure all that was happening here except that Paul was very concerned about something. Perhaps very concerned about Titus. Maybe he was concerned about what had happened back in Corinth where Titus was supposed to be and Titus was supposed to meet him and give him a report. He was so bothered by this situation that when he got to Troas and he had every intention to preach the gospel there, he just couldn't do it. Think about that for a moment. We always think of the Apostle Paul as this great apostle and church planner and and he was all of that. But here he says, I got to Troas and I was so bothered I struggled so much it just seemed like things weren't working and and though I was there to preach the gospel I couldn't do it and I left humanly speaking it looked like Satan was winning that battle didn't it the circumstances were not comfortable Paul could not understand the detours and the disappointments and in spite of that though look what Paul says in verse 14 in spite of that Paul breaks out in praise Look how he describes it. But thanks be to God. 
That word but is a contrast word, of course. Even though things have not been working out, even though, I, verse 13, I had no peace of mind, even though I cannot find Titus, and even though I had to say goodbye and go on to Macedonia, even though my plans seem to be falling apart and I'm frustrated with everything, Paul says in verse 14, but thanks be to God, who always, not some days, not sometimes, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Paul was so sure that God was leading him, he began to praise God for his leadership. The word always, you might want to mark that in your Bible. He's always leading us, even when it doesn't feel like he is. Do you have any detours or disappointments in your life? Humanly speaking, are things confusing or discouraging or disappointing? And probably a lot of us could say yes. If so, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, may I remind you who is leading you. The one you're following has defeated your eternal enemy. The one you're following is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one you're following proved on resurrection morning that he can turn defeat into victory. And yes, I understand, that doesn't mean life's going to be easy. There are still bills to be paid. There are still problems that are heartbreaking. Your marriage may still be broken. Your dream may be over. But in the midst of the despair, don't forget that you can trust that God is leading you. That's why it says in Romans 8.37, write this down. Taking notes, write this down. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. In all these things, they're not all good. In all these things, sometimes life is hard. In all these things, sometimes life is discouraging and, and confusing. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Through Him, we love this. When life is uncertain, you can be sure that God is leading you and that God is helping you. Now, we could stop there and go home and say, well, uh, that's an encouragement. But let me give you a, a second encouragement. Wherever you go, <clears throat> you can be sure that God is using you as a child of God. Wherever you go, you can be sure that God is using you. Look how Paul says in the second part of verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the second part of verse 14, he says, who leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and notice this phrase, and through us, underline that, through us, spreads, what's that next word? Spreads, what's that next word? And through us, spreads everywhere. The fragrance of the knowledge of Him. I like the Living Bible translation in this. The Living Bible translates verse 14 this way. Now, wherever we go, He uses us to tell others about the Lord and to spread the gospel like sweet perfume. You probably had a parent or a grandparent who's now in heaven, but their aroma lingers long after they've moved on. Some of you got somebody like that, right? It's like, man, he was a godly man. He, she was a godly woman. She was a praying mother or grandmother. And the aroma, the Jesus aroma of them lingers even though they've been in heaven for a while. That's what Paul's talking about here. 
It's beautiful language. But thanks be to God, verse 14, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. In other words, people should be noticing the Jesus in you. When you're there, and it should, like, it should feel like a, a perfume when you're gone. They should notice something. They tend, we tend to measure our influence by our actions, the things that we do. And, and certainly we can be known for and by our actions. And we tend to sometimes think that if we just have the right actions, then, then we're going to be known for what we do. But creating the right atmosphere is also important. Not just the actions. What kind of atmosphere are you creating? Now, can I be real transparent with you? I, I, I just try to be personal, and I try to be honest, and I try to be transparent. Um, yesterday, I blew it a little bit. And it's interesting how this... I haven't even told my wife this story. She doesn't know this either. Uh <clears throat> I think it was this, this past week, uh, we had um, a traveling salesman come to our house, and I had a great conversation with him. I'm not going to get into details of that, but I, I had a great conversation with him, and when he left, I think he sensed the aroma of Jesus. I would hope that he did. And I, I'm not going to get into to that situation. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I felt good about that all day. I felt good about that all night. Yesterday, I was in Charleston trying to pack up the car, trying to, to, to get to Lily's dance recital and then head home and get to the office. And I just had a lot on my mind. And the same company that I talked to in my neighborhood was going through Kelly's neighborhood. It wasn't the same salesman, but it was the same company. And he walked up and he's trying to start a conversation. And, and I was trying to be nice have you ever had those times? I was trying to be nice, but I was trying to get the car packed. I was trying to get to Lily's dance recital. I was trying to get home so I could get to the office. And I've already had this conversation with the guy in my neighborhood. I didn't tell him all that, but that's the way it was. Now, I don't want to oversell it. I didn't chew him out. I just, I didn't, I didn't do anything wrong. I was a little bit short with it. I don't think he sensed the aroma of Jesus when he left. Now you're laughing because you've done that before too. Right? And, and I thought about it late because after he left, I almost, I almost got in my car and went looking for him because I felt so convicted and I was short with him. Thought, so, you know, I, I handled it so well with this guy. And then I turned around and blew it with this guy. God wants to spread the aroma of Jesus to the people you come in contact with. Sometimes we do that well. And sometimes if you're like me, you blow it. 
So I do not stand before you today as one who has mastered it all. But let me give you four things that I think would make Jesus more appealing to those who don't know him. Four things that would kind of make the aroma of Jesus more noticeable. Here's, we're still under point two. This is kind of sub-points of point two. And I want to give you four things that would make Jesus more noticeable to those around us. First of all, live a life they can't argue with. Live a life they can't argue with. One of the main reasons people don't come to Christ is that some of them have seen Christians. Many years ago, there was a band. Back in, back in the heyday of, of my youth, there was a band called DC Talk. And they put out an album called Jesus Freak. And that album, in that album, there is a quote, and I'm going to quote from that, that song, that album. It says, here, here's what he says in the song. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the door and deny Him by their lifestyle. And that's why an unbelieving world finds what we say unbelievable. Because they might hear something from our lips but they don't sit in our lifestyle. I mean, you know me. Most of you know me. If you see me wearing a shirt that says, I love Coca-Cola, you know that's a lie. You would find that unbelievable, right? Because the message would not match my lifestyle. Nothing creates a greater stink, if you will. Nothing creates a bad odor like someone who says they believe in Jesus, but they don't live like they believe in Jesus. Their lifestyle and their language doesn't match. So if we really are going to spread this aroma of Jesus to others, if, if when we leave somewhere, there is just this sense of Jesus there, because we've been there. One, there, there needs to be a lifestyle that they, uh, that they can't ignore. And number two, there needs to be a story they can't deny. A story they can't deny. Now here's the, the wonderful thing about this is that if you know the Lord Jesus, if you truly have been saved, you've got a story to tell. Your story may not be dramatic. Your story may not be one of those stories that keep people on the edge of their seat. It might be a simple story, but it's still the story that Jesus has, of what Jesus has done for you and the difference He's made in your life. I really appreciate a, football, a former football coach, now announcer, named Tony Dungy. I've got two books Two of his books on my shelf in my library. I've read both of those books about Tony Dungy, a godly Christian uh, former NFL coach. In 2007, Tony Dungy coached the Indianapolis Colts to a Super Bowl. His quarterback, by the way, was a guy named Peyton Manning. Happened to play for the University of Tennessee, in case you didn't know that. I was reading this book about Tony Dungy, Super Bowl winning coach. And the book said, someone said, he led his team to number one in the world and showed the world a better way to live. He led his team to number one in the world and showed the world a better way to live. That is a story they can't deny. Number three, a positiveness that they would want. Too many Christians are negative and critical. 
and sour about life. And you'd never guess they have the joy of Jesus because you don't see it at all. But I'm convinced that the, the aroma of Jesus is most noticeable during times of hardship and pain. When the world would expect you to crumble and fall apart, and yet they see a positiveness in your spirit that makes them want that too. Uh, years and years and years ago, um, my nephew, my brother Dave, his son KJ, my nephew, uh, when he was just a little guy, uh, was run over by a car in, in their driveway. Um, I won't go into the grotesque details, but KJ had a little truck. It went under this man's car. KJ crawled under the car to get the truck. The man did not know KJ was back there. He got in his car and backed out to leave, and he backed over KJ's head. Um, of course, we, they rushed him to the hospital, and uh, I don't remember how old KJ was, three or four or five, something like that, just a little guy. I rushed him to the hospital. He still, if you were to see him today, has this big scar right through here. Um, but what people noticed, my brother was a pastor back then and uh, all those years ago, and what people kept noticing in the hospital was his positive attitude in that situation. Nurses would ask him, how can you be so positive? I mean, look at your son. Look at the damage that has been done. How can you be so positive? And David's response, at least to me, I don't know what he said to the nurses, but at least to me, David's response was, I just decided it was time to live what I preached. And when people see you live what you preach or what you teach by your lifestyle, when they see a positive spirit that you're still trusting God even though life is hard, you're still believing God even though life is difficult, you're, you're still walking with God even though others don't understand how you could do that, that positive attitude is like an aroma of Jesus. And when you leave, that aroma of Jesus hangs in the air. So that was number three. Let me give you number four real quick. So what we're talking about here, just to set the stage again, we were, we were talking about number two, when, wherever you go, you can be sure that God is using you. And we said four things that make Jesus more appealing, a life they can't argue with, a story they can't deny, a positiveness they want, and number four, a rock to build a life on. You see, they need to understand that it's not you, but it's Jesus in you. That He's the rock you have built your life on. And I like the word everywhere in verse 14. Look, look what he says again. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. That aroma of Jesus is spread everywhere. That wherever you go, you have the mission, the goal not just to get your business done, but to leave the aroma of Jesus behind. But, now let me get to the, to the hard thing. Verse 16. The third point now, about this aroma we are to leave behind in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, is found in verse 16. Whoever you are, you are not able 
to do this on your own. Paul says something amazing here in verse 16. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And Paul says, ask this question, and who is equal to such a task? That's such a great question. Put it in context. Look at verse 15. For we are to God, not to others. Notice this. God also looks at us. If we're living for Jesus, we are to God the aroma of Christ. That when God sees you living for Christ, it's like an aroma. We are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And to the one, we are the smell of death. Those who are lost, we are the smell of death. And to the other, the fragrance of life. But then he asked this question. And who is equal to such a task? I mean, this is such a big responsibility. This is, this is such a huge opportunity. Who is equal to such a task? And here's what I want to say to you. When we face this task of representing Christ, we are never adequate for it. That's why sometimes... Early in the week, you might do really well leaving the aroma of Jesus. And then later in the week, you can blow it. Because we, Keith, you and I, are not adequate for such a task. Paul asks a very logical, very honest question. Who is equal to such a task? You know what the answer is? No one. No one. No one can claim to be adequate for this kind of a task without God's help. None of us is confident to carry out this kind of responsibility. Our human abilities and our knowledge and our charisma and anything else you can think of can only carry us so far. We can only do so much. There is a limit to what we're able to do. But let me show you where adequacy is. In chapter 2, who is able... Or who is equal to such a task? In chapter 3, verse 5, he answers that question. Chapter 3, verse 5, here's what he says. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. I love that. Not that we're able to claim anything by ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Our, write this down. Our adequacy always comes from God. You ever felt inadequate for a task? God gives you an opportunity to do something. You just feel like, I, I just don't have it. I'm not able to do this. From a biblical perspective, you're right. You don't have it. You're not able to do it. But if you're walking in a relationship with God, there is no such thing as an inadequate believer. Because our competency comes from God. Serving Him, therefore, requires that we focus on what God can do through us rather than what we can't do on our own. And so I want to close by asking you this question. Tomorrow, this next week coming up, when you leave that office at the end of the day, will they sense the aroma of Jesus? When you are not when you leave that group of friends after that lunch, will they sense the aroma of Jesus by the way you treated the waitress? When you go to, the, to that business to have your oil changed, 
Well, they sensed the aroma of Jesus by the way you handled that frustrating situation. And when the salesman comes knocking on your door, and I'll probably have two more this week because I'm talking about it. And when the salesman comes knocking on your door, will he leave your home sensing the aroma of Jesus? Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that just has been a challenge to me and encouragement to me as well. And I recognize that I, I can't really control the response of the people to the smell that I leave behind. I can't control whether it's the smell of life or the smell of death for them. I, I'm not in charge of how they respond to that smell of Jesus. But God, I am in charge about walking with Jesus so that there is this aroma as I leave. And I thank you for this word that reminds us it's not about us, it's not our competency, but it's about living with you and letting you live through us. And may you help us do that this week in such a way that people notice Jesus in our lives even after we've gone. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you this to think about. I don't have a Bible verse for you. I don't have chapter and verse to quote. I'm just going to ask you to think about it. When Jesus traveled into a village, when Jesus stopped into someone's home, after he left, do you think he left kind of an aroma? I don't literally mean there was a smell there that he left behind, but just the aroma of who he is and that he was there. I don't have a chapter verse, but I really do believe that wherever he went, in a home or in a village, he left an aroma. An aroma of God. If we're followers of Jesus, maybe we should do the same. God bless. Thanks for being here.